There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to the family with Doug Sprinthal, Alex Brampernard Rasmussen, VJ Smith. Catherine Brandt. Oh, Andy Brampernard. <laughs> and Cassie Schrader. Oh, Melissa doesn't have a mic, I forgot. Professional, <laughs> professional all the way. No she's, mic. She's signing for the... Yep. I, I'll lean into Melissa if she needs to talk to yeah, you say go. anything. Actually, we'll be, we'll be right back with our special guest, VJ Smith, in studio with the family. That's... Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and <laughs> it's gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Isn't that amazing? What? what? Hey there. Five seconds, by the way. Welcome back. Walzer.com. Oh, that's right. We got Walzer to do. Speaking of working. So, <laughs> have we ever done this before? Uh, I know. So you never know. I was just six and a half years. <laughs> you know. Stick around for car selling secrets this afternoon. I'm really excited. I'm bringing a guest in from Walzer Experience Autos. We learned to sell cars together in the wild west of the car business in 1983. And we're going to talk about, it's actually a pretty good explanation of why Walzer does business the way they do, because we're going to talk about the bad old days and how they trained us young kids to take advantage of everybody. Oh, bad, bad dealers. What? This mic cut out. Oh, there it's back again. So anyway, that'll be really exciting. Would you leave the mic? I didn't even touch it. I just talked to it. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. I saw you. Well, it did for a second. (laughs) We're going to be... Walzer Automotive Group. 
Walzer.com. Walzer.com. Walzer. That's everything. <laughs> That's it. I, I'm Good just job, Doug. Pissed. <laughs> Why are you pissed? I'm just kidding you. All right, hold on. I got, I got Michael Bryant on this morning. I got you here. I know. My life's, life's a tough. disaster. The Wicked Picket, kicking things off. VJ, how you been? You know, I've been doing really great. Pretty excited about opportunities that we have in the community to make a difference and make a change. And I'm I'm really excited because I get a chance to see you. And a year ago, you said you were going to go out on street patrol with me. And I'm I so will. glad that I'm I got you. I'm glad I didn't. And I'm <laughs> <laughs> but now I'll do it. Okay. Well, I'm ready for you to do it. Wow. Everything's okay. going wrong. Oh, what happened? I just sneezed and my headphones fell off. DJ, <laughs> welcome to the family. It's a family affair. <laughs> and that's what we do best is work with family, so we're excited. Well, let me say this, ladies and gentlemen. Anybody who's a uh, you know, long time listening to the show knows that I, I grew up in North Minneapolis. I love North Minneapolis. Catherine and I live right on the border between where she grew up and where I grew up. The house is right in the middle of that. And Both I still spend a lot of time. Yeah, they were kind of different neighborhoods. <laughs> yes. Western Golden Valley and North Minneapolis, a little bit different. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it all works out. But I do. I talk all the time about how much I love North Minneapolis, a lot of people in North Minneapolis. and, and uh, So, yeah, I would love to go out. The timing. So what, what happened here just recently? It's an odd deal. Yeah, it, it was an odd deal. And I think that... Um, you know, many times people make mistakes in their lives and do some things yep. that they shouldn't do, and they work for organizations and companies that uh, have to deal with that. Uh, unfortunately, though, this happened when they weren't on the clock, they weren't working, Good. And, Good. and somebody decided that it should be public, but uh, it shouldn't have went public at all. It was a, I it agree was, with that. And, and so um, we, 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 we pride ourselves on helping people that no one else wants to help. Mm-hmm. That no one else wants to give a chance, you know, and, and, and many times that saves their lives. One of those gentlemen, when we met him, we were sleeping in his car. And he, he was going to make a decision between robbing people or maybe taking his own life. And so mm-hmm. we, we gave him hope and support. And so he worked for two years with us and did well, and, and something happened. Another yeah. gentleman yep. was on high-intensive probation. He had been with us for five months, and we were... We're concerned about his, you know, what was going on with him. Also, was his probation officer, and so, uh, but we believed in giving people a chance. Well, I'll tell you something, VJ. About five years ago, I'm on the air. I'm live on the air, KQRS. Uh, are you gonna settle in, Alex? I can't. At all, this or? microphone is just not. Why don't you use a stand microphone? You're a disaster. It's just not. There you we're go. Be, uh, well, I think we're gonna be replacing <laughs> the lavaliers yeah, very... in the coming Well, and future. it's like if you touch the cord, it. Causes You'll be problems. getting the stand mic. Anyway, so uh, I go on the air, and the all-night guy is standing right behind me. And the first story that comes up, because I don't pre-read any news at all. When it comes up, I want to read it fresh and have a real reaction to it, right? right. So I'm reading a story about a guy who has been uh, uh, threatening to expose women because he has naked pictures of them. And he is uh, about to be arrested. As soon as they find the guy, he's going to get arrested and it's just, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to basically hold people up for money yeah. by saying, I got pictures of your wife naked and blah, 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 blah. So as I'm reading it, the picture of the guy comes up. It's the guy standing right behind me. 
I'm not kidding. What? Oh. It was unbelievable. Oh you didn't know about that? No. Yeah, that, he's standing right behind me. It's like, well, gosh, I, uh, gee. <laughs> and uh, they came and arrested him uh, right then. Huh. So it happens. I understand exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely. It was like that story Moon told where he... His yeah. first job in the radio was 18, and he got he was like selling pot in Nebraska, and he there was a warrant out for his arrest. So the copywriter wrote the story, <laughs> and he goes, and a related story, and they won't tell you what his actual name is. Um, warrant out for his arrest, and this is reporting. Uh, <laughs> the no, owner no. of the station drove right down and fired him. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and it was arrested nice. too, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. That'll, and he got arrested that'll too. That'll happen. So. So VJ, there's nothing new, <laughs> right? Um, when you and that's one another thing that people need to understand is when you do reach out and try to help people, mm-hmm. some people cannot help themselves, or they at this particular moment they can't help themselves. So anybody making that 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 call that it's so oh, mad, dads is off the rails and blah, it's, that's not the situation at all. How long you been doing it now? VJ? We've been doing it 20 years. We started in. Uh, October the 3rd of 1998, and we're really excited. We, we came from just being a, a local organization to eventually having a chapter that was so amazing that we became the national headquarters for chapters across the country in wow. Jacksonville, Florida, Buffalo, New York, Iowa, and other states. And so we're, we're a model for other states, and I think we're very proud to have that happen. I want to say that uh, our mayor, our chief of police, and, and county commissioners, and other uh, leaders in the community, uh, I received phone calls from numerous people just saying, you have our support. We, Good. Be- we believe in you, and we believe that the work that you do is important. And and uh, we, we realize that, uh, you know, we're always going to have problems. We're going to have to change a few of our policies in terms of who we bring on now because of this situation, just for certain individuals and certain things. Because we, we, we can't continue to have this happen, and we have to make sure that people are sincere about this work. So, uh but the unfortunate piece is, is when you don't have enough funding to hire people and have them work eight hours a day mm-hmm. and you ask them to work part time, then that leaves room for them to do other things. But you do have to make a decision. And some people say, well, you know what? I work part time and I still never stole anything. Mm-hmm. I still never sold drugs. But some people come from that background and yeah. it's, it's so tempting. So we we also have to figure out how to get people on the payroll full time, how to give them benefits, how to give them all the stuff that they need so they can be successful. So are you a mentoring program, or what do you... We're a little bit of everything. So, okay. so you know, we'll bring a person from the streets in or from uh, being incarcerated, and then we will teach them how to give back. Okay. A lot of times people... Uh, I go to the jails on a weekly basis, and I go to the juvenile jails on a weekly basis, and, and, and they never know the message of what it takes to be a real man. You okay. know, some, yeah, like some, some men grow up being, and we call it the theory, is a chicken or eagle. So some men run around being chickens all their lives until somebody tells them what an eagle is really like. And we teach them that an eagle is something that is very proud and very distinguished and, and very uh, responsible for what goes on into the community. And so when we see a 30 or 40 year old man say, man, no man has ever poured into me like that. And we're able to say, well, what's next? When you get out, here's what's next. You come to me. I get you trained. I show you how to give back. And, and um, you know, 99% maybe on that rate do well. Really? It's That's that, astounding. It's that, it's that 1% that, you know, you just, well, you they have a mindset. Everybody. Yeah. Man, you're you doing know. better than the Catholic Church. You're doing better than anybody. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's Catholic, so I can say that. Well, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, it's it's important, though, because, 
when I was just having a conversation with a lady at the front desk, and she was saying, we got to forget about the past so we can move on in the future when it comes to race relations and race and, and the you know, the history of slavery and all that. And, and I told her, that's kind of impossible. If you don't know your history, how can you move on to the future. Right. You, you don't know your history. And I, I remember in school, I was just taught about Columbus. I was just taught about all that stuff. And I never was taught about my own history. Mm-hmm. And now I'm learning in it, which is, which is uh, and thanks to uh, DNA, I've even met some of my brothers and sisters that I never met. So, you never met them? Yeah. That's so, 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 you know, uh, I, I lived 50 years without my uh, mom, my biological mom. And she showed up in my life three years ago. Oh, she's my now, God. She's wow. now 86. And so, you know, my mom is telling me stuff that I never knew, never heard, wow. you know, and just found out the reason why I have cataracts is because of her and the reason why I'm, <laughs> you know, Now you know who to blame. Yeah, <laughs> the reason why my knees the hurt is because she's she's hers hurt. hurt. She's moving around at 86, though, so yeah. you got that going for yeah. her. She's, she's still moving around, and, and uh, I think it's important that the history is so critical and so important. And, and I believe yeah. that we have to know that. And I think a lot of people want us to forget about it, but we haven't caught up and we do have to catch up and things have gotten better. And, you know, I mean, look at me now. I'm sitting at a table with a bunch of white folks. I feel good, right? <laughs> it's a family. Not, Andy's not really is. white. He's passing. He's <laughs> passing. <laughs> so, I'm very passing. So, so, you know, I think that that's critical stuff. And I think that uh, a lot of our men still need help. I, the reason why I go into the jail for free is because I realized they have a lot of Bible studies, and but I wanted to give them study how to study to be a man. How do you do that? And, and so I, I appreciate all the ministers and preachers that go in, and I'm a minister too, but I wanted to teach them how to be men. They don't know how to do that, and they're, they're a little humble about it. They're afraid to say that. They're like, nobody's really taught me. People mm-hmm. taught me how to steal. People taught me how to rob. Right. People taught me how to sell drugs. But there was never that man there to teach me what it means to be free and responsible. And that's, so that's, that's, that's one goal. Really great. Should be everybody's goal. And, yet, and other people, and, 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 as a white guy in America today, I wish that, that certain white people would back off and stop pretending they're experts on this. Oh, I know what they should do. And I... People, we, we just talked to a bunch of friends, as a matter of fact, we had a bunch of people over on uh, on Sunday for dinner. Are you familiar with Boulder Options? Yes, yes, Darryl yes. Thompson. That's my buddy, Daryl, my buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was over on Sunday. Yeah, Darryl came yeah. over. Oh, he's a good man. Bunch yes, of good he's a very good guy. Uh, and we were just talking, we had 25 people at our house. Pretty much, you know, what, half women, half men. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, about, I guess, 20, 30% of, of the people there were black. Everybody got along phenomenally, had never met one another. And nobody yeah. broke anything for a change. Well, I was so proud. Man, man, <laughs> for but, once. But we were talking about the fact. <laughs> Nothing was broken. And this is one thing we should have probably mad dads for white people, too, because they mm-hmm. do not understand treating, treating someone worse or better because of their skin color is racist. They yes. don't get that. They, oh, if I treat him better, then I, no. You, you think the only way VJ can get through is if Tom helps you. Well, that's wrong, 100% wrong. That is a little condescending. It is. Yeah, don't you yeah. think? Just a bit. But that's what they think. They, they think, that, oh, yeah. Look, the fact that you showed up today is great because people will learn that everyone can get along. We, we were, I, I told everybody after the dinner, I was kind of gathered around and as, as they were leaving, I said, do me a favor and please go out and tell everybody 
how this went. Everybody got along. It was a wonderful time. We were laughing about everything. And I won't use the man's name, but you'd know who I'm talking about. <laughs> so he, said, he told me one time when, when his, his son was a professional athlete. He said, I'll never forget this, man. You, the, the day he was drafted, you said, oh, great, another big, slow, white guy. He goes, white? Not white. I said, so I called him the next day, and his, he answers me and goes, hello. And he goes, is this a big, slow, white guy? And he goes, no, this is a black daddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's having fun like that. We can deal with all right. of this, all these calls. Catherine came from, from Golden Valley. Mm-hmm. I came from North Minneapolis. I was around a lot of people when I first came out of the neighborhood like, what the hell is your deal? Because of the way I am, you right. know? There are still people in the television and newspaper business that don't like me because I'm so urban, you know? And right. that's not to say black, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not saying I'm black. It's an urban thing. And they don't like that. You know, they pretend, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. But it's the second they can take it, I suppose because I am white, they think they can take shots at me and call me out, which is fine. Good. And, you know, one of the things I want to say, too, is that a lot of the media outlets, uh, when this happened, called me and said, why don't you just call me when something good's happened? I don't even want to deal with this. Good. And I thought that was very, wow. very, I appreciated that, it is. you know, because I think that's important. There's a lot of great things that go on in North Minneapolis. Yeah. And we're constantly telling the kids. You know, they say, well, how come the news is not here? We got 300 black kids doing great things, teenagers, and nobody's here to cover it. And I say, you know, it's something that we have to change the narrative. Sometimes we have to be our own media outlet, and sometimes we just post it on Facebook, do whatever we can to let the community know that we are doing good things. And we know when it bleeds, it it bleeds, it leads. Okay, so what? But also, when it's blessed, it's the best. Like That's that. a minister talking right there. Yeah. Really. <laughs> That's a minister talking right Now, BJ, I would love to go out with you guys. Uh, and and it, just walk, you, basically, you kind of spend some time walking around the community. You go to different places. You go to, what I'd like to do, if we could possibly do it, is get everybody together. And we can go on tour of the 43 houses I lived in in North Minneapolis. What do you think? Okay. I, just we, cover let's, every block, man. Let's, let's do it and let's reach out to all those houses and make a difference because I'm sure there's some people that need somebody to reach out to them, and I think that would be yeah, great. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we do, uh, we ride the buses to keep them safe. We've been mm-hmm. doing that for almost 15 years now. And we we invented that. We invented that ability called the peace bus. And we found out that crime was was rising. People were afraid. Some of the buses go through the gang territories. And people were afraid to do that. And so uh, we got a partnership with Metro Transit. And we said, we think we can really help out. We reduced crime that first year, 38%. And nobody has ever been shot, stabbed, or beat down while we were on the bus. Because simply, we intervene. We make things better. We can see Mm -hmm. when something's getting hot. We can see when somebody's beginning to approach them in a negative way and calm that down because we understand what it's like. The other piece we found out that people ride the bus just like they ride the train when they're angry, frustrated, and upset. (laughs) Right? So they say, you know what? Get get the hell out of here. And you say, I sure will. And I'll get on the bus with that heat and that Mm -hmm. energy and that negativity. And you need somebody to come to you and say, you know what? It's going to be okay. What are you looking for? A job? Are you looking for housing? Are you looking for treatment? Here's some things that can help you. That's why you can reduce the crime. It's not because you stand there and say, you're not going to do anything while we're here. No. Right. We stand there and we have compassion because we've been there. That's the difference from hiring somebody to to do a job because they have a master's degree, but hire them because they know how to deal with the people that they serve. 
And so yep. sometimes you have to take a chance because you have to go through something. You know, I come out of organized crime in Kansas City. That's what I came out of. I was, I was brought into it. The people around me told me I'd be good at it. And so nobody told me to go to college. Nobody told me to go to a trade school. They told right. me to be involved in guns, gangs, and drugs. And it was until I went on the run and, and, and I, you know, joined a church and changed my life around and seen that I could change people's lives. It was changing a whole neighborhood in Oklahoma City and, and going to the bus stop and realizing and coming back to Minnesota on the Greyhound bus and realizing when that whole, all those families came with gifts and presents to say, thank you. I said, wow, this, I'm supposed to be a hope dealer. That's when I found out. <laughs> Not a dope dealer? Yeah. That sounds like Muhammad Ali now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I went from being a minister to Muhammad Ali. Okay. <laughs> but that's I'm when not I, a dope dealer. I'm a hope dealer. Oh, but that's when I found out. Oh, yeah. We'll take a very quick break. Okay. Sorry. We'll be right back. Okay. Just a couple minutes more with VJ. VJ, you're doing a hell of a job. Thank Thanks you, sir. Are. Thank you. We'll be right back. It's Tom Bernard with CEO Michael Bilski from North American Banking Company. Michael, we spent some time talking about your free app and money transfer service, XCheck, which is just great, by the way. You can transfer money to your kid to travel home from college and lots of other uses. I got wind of another service you provide at North American Banking Company. What's this Super ID I've been hearing about? Great question, Tommy. Super ID uses your face proof and your finger proof to keep your identity and your money secure. It's really a foolproof way to protect your family and your business from identity fraud. It's simple, fast, and oh, the best part is that it's free to our customers. Super ID, super easy, and super secure. Visit nabanco.com or see my personal banker to get the scoop on XCheck and Super ID. North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC and an equal housing lender. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Why are you reminding me that she's dead? Way to go. I'm sorry. It's Aretha. I hate that. I loved Aretha. You know the tribute is going to be tomorrow night at Crooners. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, my brother works there, as a matter of fact. Are my you brother, coming? My brother, Troy. Tomorrow night? No, oh, no I'm going to be in Red Wing. Taking my auntie. I'm going to be out of town. Oh, you are? Yeah. Yeah, that'll be fun. a good time. That'll be a good time. Um, we're talking to BJ's now. We're talking about Mad Dads. Mad Dads is a great organization. Uh, what, you know, you, you brought this up. Oh, I should mention one thing. How smart BJ is, because I got here. And I'm sitting down in my usual chair for people who aren't watching this on YouTube or whatever. 
This is how smart VJ is. He's not sitting by me. He's sitting between Catherine and Alex. <laughs> Good move, VJ. <laughs> what? I don't get it. I don't get it either. Well, you want to sit by decent people, not by ah, me. Oh, man, you get it. Like, <laughs> ah, yes, yes, yes. So there are great people to sit by, that's for sure. <laughs> we, so you grew up in Kansas City? I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. I was um, separated from my family at nine years old. I was in foster homes most of the time. And, and then uh, I was recruited into organized crime and where uh, I did that for many years. At and what then, age? Uh, well, right after high school, so they allowed okay. me to graduate from high school, and then you know, I was off to the off to the races, and I did that for many years, and then um, I got into a little deeper trouble than I should have, so I left Kansas City and and I came to Minnesota, and, and then in Minnesota I I uh, attempted to try to go on the right track, but uh, because of so much skills that I had. Uh, people were kind of interested. Like, hey, you know how to do that? And I got right back into it. Oh, yeah. And then um, I lived that lifestyle for a while, and I was actually uh, one of the DJs on KMLJ, a VJ to DJ, Late Night Love. And so I would do Late Night Show. And in 1987, I ended up going on the run because uh, I couldn't live both lives. And so there was a lot of stuff going on. But I came back after after that stint. I came back and decided that I wanted to be on the streets giving back to the community at whatever cost. Which is great. And and I worked for Northwest Airlines for a while, then I worked for Archie Givens, which is one of the yeah. one of the first African Americans to own property in Minnetonka and Eden Prairie and all those places, his dad and I worked for him and while I was doing that, working for him I started Mad Dads, and so for five years I worked for him, and then on the weekends and nights I worked the streets. Oh, you founded the organization? I founded oh, the okay. Minneapolis chapter okay. of the organization. It started in Omaha, Nebraska in 1989. I started in 1998. They started in 1989 okay. in Omaha, Nebraska. Yep. Yeah, that works. That absolutely works. Um, yeah, that's one thing about North Minneapolis. People don't really understand the history of it either, like uh, the Estes family. You know, oh, Fred, yeah. Frederick's running now, but the Estes was the first black-owned business in the state of Minnesota. Wow. Really? Oh, you didn't know that? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, it was the first black-owned business in Minneapolis. Minneapolis people don't realize this. After World War II and when Berlin fell, Minneapolis was the most racist and anti-Semitic city in the world, not just the United States, in the world. Wow. And, you know, it's... They don't tell you that in school. <laughs> yeah, they don't bring that part up, do they? <laughs> but, yeah, I grew up with it, and it was... Uh, you know, it's really amazing, PJ. I, I never, my whole life, I've never been in an argument with a black person. No fighting, no argument. I just don't. And it's, it wasn't yeah. like I was trying to avoid it, or they were trying to avoid it. It just didn't happen. Wow. So I don't. I've seen some heated disagreements between you and Philip. Well, Philip, <laughs> Philip Wise, yeah. Well, Philip disagrees argues, with everyone. Yeah, he argues with everybody. You what, can't yeah. avoid it. He argues with everybody, but <laughs> yeah, I just I wish people would calm down with this whole we gotta we gotta do everything we can to to, to people rise up. No, get out of the way. Do they understand that yet? It's just look, just get out of the way. Because since I was a little boy, I just talked about this because Don Frazier just died. Oh, and wow. I remember 33 years ago, Don Fraser was the mayor of Minneapolis, and uh, and Anthony Boza was the uh, Tony Boza was the chief of police. Uh, and I said on the air, "There's a there's a gang problem coming in Minneapolis and St. Paul." This was in 1988, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Said so there's a so yeah, just a year before you know you started. I said, I was part of the problem. 
Yeah, you were part of the problem. That's right, VJ. You were part of the problem. I, uh, but I said to Tony Boza and Don Fraser on the air, I said, you're going to have to do something about the gangs that are, that are coming about and sprouting up in North Minneapolis. And, and Tony Boza said, there aren't any gangs. I said, yeah, there are, man. I don't know why you want to deny this, but you better do something about it. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, they, would not, they wouldn't even admit there were gangs. They don't leave their offices and go walking around on the streets. That's the <laughs> Which problem. Which they should. Yeah. Has anybody ever walked the streets with you from the police department? Yeah, we have uh, we have a couple of really uh, intelligent and bright African American young officers that just came mm-hmm. on board this year, and they love to be out in the community with us. Good. We got bike cops for kids; they're out in the community doing stuff, and so we have we have a real partnership not only with them but with the sheriff's department, and because we're trying to recruit. I believe that we want a better police force. You need to have more people that look like us and in the neighborhood, you know, because that's that's important because they understand the neighborhood, they grew up in it, and they can relate to the kids. Yep. Because you don't look at everybody as a gangbanger or a drug dealer. Right. Some kids' pants hang because they don't have a belt, you know, <laughs> you know, just that nobody's <laughs> buying them a belt. Right. Belts wear out, you know, and you need to. I mean, it's it's interesting how, you know, uh, so many of our kids. Uh, when I'm in, in the jails talking to the young kids, and, and they tell me three things are the reasons why they're in jail. One, they think nobody cares. Two, they have to have provide resources and money because mom can't do it alone. And three is because um, they know that they're not going to live long, so they might as well do anything and everything because yeah. they don't think they're going to leave. And so when you have when you have a 14-year-old and 15-year-old and 16-year-old talking like that, um, I, I, the one thing I teach them about, and it helps out because I tell the parents that I've teach them, there's a difference between criminal values and family values. Mm-hmm. And, and if you have family values, you, there's no room to be a criminal. Now, if you're from a crime family, they right. all go together. Right. But if you're from a family that, that believes that you do the right thing, if you earn a living, you're going to be okay. If you, if you go by the law, you're going to be fine. Those are family values. Right. If you have criminal values, then you're not going by those rules and you don't care about your future. And once they learn that, it, it clicks. They go, man, I, I don't have family values, but I love my family. You keep saying you love your mom. You keep saying you love your dad. You keep saying you love your little brother and sister. When I see you with them, I see the love, but you're not putting that into a family value. And so right. I, I believe it's big on teaching those family values. And some parents don't know how to teach it because they didn't yep. get it. Yep. They didn't get it. You know, if you're taught to slap your kid or beat your kid down when they do something wrong, or if you've been taught to smoke weed with your kid or have a drink with your kid because that will happen with you, that's not the way to do it. Right. What, what are some solutions? Um, I, I, you know, I mean, you're taking kids that are already in a bad way and helping them. How do we as people, the communities, governments, or whatever, help? this problem before it starts i mean is there something do you know yeah there is a there's a way to do it and right now what what seems to be happening people that do this well and are good at it we we have to fight each other for resources which is so unfair i've been at the capitol i just did my first bill i'm excited because i don't i can't afford a lobbyist so i learned how to (laughs) i learned how to be one right so i I did my first bill i'm running around and lobbyists are giving me their cards man i can't afford you but i got my first bill didn't pass 
but I learned a lot. Okay. That there's there's pots of money that are going all over the state, mm-hmm. but it it trickles down to where all of a sudden the people that do this well are fighting over five thousand dollar grants, and but there the people there's people that are getting a million a half a million dollars that are taking that money, but it's trickling down. We've got to get ahead of that. We've got to be have have we got to have staff, and we've got to have the a team of people that can do this because we can do it. We know what to do for our community, okay. but you have to bring the resources. You know, I'll give you a perfect example. You know, and I, I think that tragedy happens in the white community. They put a Facebook up, and you get a million dollars. Uh, we have somebody just needs a, a a little bit of help. We put a Facebook post up, and nothing barely happens. And so we have to. We also we have to be able to try to figure out how to get resources ourselves. But we also have to have compassion so we're all one village. We're not separate. We're not a separate village. And so we have that right now where we're still so separate that the, the funds don't trickle down. Right now, I need administration staff, right? Um, when you talk about in order for me to do the work I need to do, I need administration staff. I need some critical things. And I've always been talking about it. But people would say to me, no, E.G., you stay out in the streets. You're doing a great job. Well, I can't really do a great job if I don't have the capacity. Right. So you have to build capacity. And so what people can do is get behind us and help us get what we need, really help us get what we need, and, and stop pitting us against each other, having us fight against each other for kibbles and bits when there's a big loaf of bread out there that yeah. could be sliced up and given out. So we're, we know how to solve our problem. We've been studied to death. We've been researched to death. There's all kind of studies and research. And matter of fact, some of the best programs the government has funded and said, well, you know, we're tired of funding that. We'll fund something else. We're tired of it? They will do that. I oh. mean, they won't say it, but that's what happens, right? <laughs> and, and uh, for instance, we had a fathering program. We were bringing in 100 fathers a week to make them better dads. That program is no longer around now. And then why is that program no longer around? Because uh, the funding, the fathering movement is not as valued in the state of Minnesota as it used to be. And you ask anybody that's working in the fathering movement, they'll tell you, yep, yeah, those important. dollars dried up. So if fathers, we can't touch fathers' lives, what do they do? They go back to what they used to do. They're not getting nurtured. They're not getting poured into. Right. So then incarceration goes up. Now, that means that somebody else, so somebody said, wait a minute, we're losing money by helping out the fathers and incarceration and all kind of other places that makes money, so we need to change some things. And I, you know, I mean, it's changed, and it's changed all around the country where that fathering movement is not as strong as it used to be because it does tap into the incarceration movement. Yeah, it absolutely does. Well, VJ just said is absolutely true because growing up you know, in North Minneapolis, my father was institutionalized when I was 10. I like saying institutionalized. (laughs) But I was then set upon by people in the neighborhood, uh, 10, 12, 14 years old, 16 years old. You know, hey, man, you should come into our family because, you know, our family really cares for you. They care about you. And, you know, can make some money in the family. So I know exactly what you're talking about. they, They use that. Your dad's gone, so we're going to be your dad now, mm-hmm. and you'll get some money for doing it. No, you're going to end up committing crimes like there's no tomorrow, but the family element of this, what you're talking about, is absolutely the most important thing mm-hmm. in the world. I was lucky. When my dad was gone, my mother was a very strong woman, and my brother-in-law, Pat O'Brien, I love him anyway, but he's no longer with us, but Pat O'Brien, he was half Puerto Rican. I love that, <laughs> Pat O'Brien. But, you know, my sisters, my mother, Pat O'Brien, my, my brother was in Vietnam at the time. 
But I was lucky because I had yeah. people in my family stepped up and said, no, we're not going to do that. We're, we won't be doing that. You won't be joining any gangs or anything else like that. So I was very lucky there. Another thing that happened, and I think this is very important, and I think all dads need to do this. When I was a kid, uh, hanging out with my friends, Mr. Laurent, Mr. O'Brien, uh, you know, Pat's dad, uh, uh, Mr. Fisher, these fathers all came to me and put their arm around my shoulder and said, Tom, you're, you're a smart kid. You'll be fine. You'll be okay. And them caring about me was huge for me. So what you're doing, it is really, really big for these kids. Well, you know, what's interesting, I was, when I was selling drugs, I was, a, there's a, Rockmar is a friend of mine. He got killed because uh, somebody robbed him and killed him. But he was a very successful drug dealer. And he had apartment buildings and everything in Minneapolis. And I kept saying, you know what, you should go to college. You're smart enough to do all this. You should get an education. And he looked at me and said, why don't you do it? I don't want to do it. <laughs> And that was the first time anybody in my life had ever said, why don't you go to school? And I was like, wow. And so I went down, you know, I said, you know what? I did graduate from high school. So I went down to the University of Minnesota. I had my briefcase. I put my suit on. I was excited. <laughs> I said, I'm going to go to the University of Minnesota. And I, I went down there, and a the guy uh, from the multicultural office came to me, and he says, I hear you want to go to the college. And he said, yeah. He said, well, we're going to take you down to you're, you're rather old. You're 38 years old, and you haven't been to school in a long time. I'm going to drive you down to MCTC. That might be a better fit for you. Yeah. And I said, no, I want to go to the U. I want to go to the best school in the state of Minnesota. He said, well, let me take you down here because you know, it's going to be better for you. So my first class was learn how to study. I didn't realize I didn't get credits for it, but that was my first class, and I was so glad I took it. Yeah. I didn't know how to study. I graduated from high school in 1971. I had no idea on how to go to school. And I ended up being a leader in there. I was the president of student, a student association. I was the president of the Heroes Club. I became the first African-American student senate president at uh, MC Minneapolis Community Technical College. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, I mean, it just goes to show that if you're around the right people and you're doing the right things, that, that you can truly be blessed. And, and, I, and I, you know, I learned how to, the biggest thing was being homeless and learning how to do without, because money used to be kind of my God. But once I realized I didn't have any money, when I was homeless, I, I worked for a, a temporary service in Oklahoma City, and I made $21 a day. I worked nine hours a day. Uh, and I saved five dollars a day for lunch and transportation, and I saved um, like fifteen dollars a day just to save it up every day. And then I learned the value of not having money, and it helped me now. So I don't money's not important anymore. Yeah, I agree it's not as that. important as saving somebody's life. It's not as important as being there for my family. It's not as important as being an example. And you know, my legacy now will not be what it used to be. It'll be totally different now, and I'm thankful that I can teach others how to sacrifice so that you can be better and be what God has called you to be. I like it. We'll take another very quick break. We'll be right back more right after this with the family. What are the things you want to avoid when it comes time to sell your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl. If you're like most people, it's things like open houses, staging, decluttering, repairs, maintenance, and all the people coming through your house. Hey, Tom, the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate was created for people like you so that you can avoid the things that you don't like doing when it comes time to sell your home. We have been presenting offers for homes in most price ranges, 
Homeowners are loving our guaranteed offer program, especially how much money they are making on their home sale without the inconveniences. So this program is for all price ranges and conditions, including perfectly maintained homes? Most homes do qualify. To see if your home qualifies, go to chrislindahl.com and click Get Offer right now. Will you be the next homeowner to accept an offer from our guaranteed offer program? Find out now. If you qualify, you will get an offer in 48 hours or less, and the best part is you get to pick a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. One of my favorites of all time. Jimmy BJ Hendrix. Smith. Oh yeah, Jimmy Hendrix. BJ Smith in play. studio with us, ladies and gentlemen. Mad Dads. Um, Mad Dads is it? It's not strictly in North Minneapolis. It's throughout the city, isn't it? Yeah, it's throughout. We we work all over the city. We and you know we'll go we'll go wherever we called in the city of Minneapolis and even St. Paul, because we believe that you know people need help and a lot of times people are, are we believe that one thing we early on believed in is that no matter who needs help, whether we get funded or not, we're going to help. You know, we get a lot of calls for people that just want direction, like, I don't know what to do. And we'll stop and take time to help them no matter where they live because uh, a lot of people don't know how to communicate and how to talk to others. And they just need some direction. They're frustrated. They've lost somebody in their family or they got a kid that's, that's, that's went the wrong direction. They don't know what to do. And so we'll do that. And we'll show up wherever, wherever we're called to show up. You know, if we're asked to be there, we'll be there. And I know, regardless of resources, we still. And I've been told to say no more. You got to say no more. <laughs> so let me say Hard that right do, now. I if I say no, it's because I'm being told to. Are you seeing new challenges with the heroin on the streets? Yeah, you know, and one of the challenges we're seeing is, uh, is the, the families, how they're impacted. You know, somebody tries drug for the first time or shoots heroin for the first time. Or uh, there was a young man that walked up to me, and I'll tell this story because it really affects me. Um, he's a pimp, and I'm a hope dealer, okay? We worked in the same neighborhood. And one day, one of his prostitutes said, you got to get me out of this. And I got her out, got her in treatment, and saved her. So me and him have a little joke. So when I see him, I say, when you going to come work for me? And he always says, when you going to come work for me, right? <laughs> and uh, last time I seen him, which was a few weeks ago, I said, hey, man, you got a job for me? And he, he says, I need to really seriously talk to you. He says, I've been shooting heroin all this time. And he says, I'm afraid to stop shooting it because my, my bones are going to ache. And he says, I'd rather die than have that pain. Oh. And so after all these years, he's decided that he wants to go into treatment and he wants to turn his life around. Right. And so, so, you know, the heroin epidemic and so many families that I know there, 
there. Um, what's it like when you say when you say, "Well, how'd your dad die?" and you say, "Well, he died in the Burger King bathroom." Yeah. Or he died in a Super America bathroom, or he died in, you know, I mean, how does a kid, how do you help a kid heal from that? How do you help a mother, or a grandmother, or a wife come back from that? And so, Heron has taken so many of our people along with, you know, opioids and what they're doing to our community, you know, because the doctors will write you a script and you'll you'll be just fine. You'll be floating on floating on cloud nine, and they discontinue it, and then you go to the streets. And you get something that was a little bit too strong for yeah. you. And then you end up dead. You're a good person. but Yeah, we just, just had a good friend who lost his daughter. Yeah, so. It's just horrible. So, so, you know, the epidemic is, um, is, has been constant in our community. But we, we have to get ahead of it by how do we help people with pain? Because you're getting high because you got pain. You're getting high because what's been done to you. You're getting high because of some things that you haven't dealt with. And so we're trying to get people to heal. Even our leaders don't get a chance to heal. I was just thinking about how many bodies I've seen. How many people call me, you need to get here, my baby's dying. Oh. And how many times I have to show up for that. And how many times in my mind oh. I see pictures. Sometimes I lay there and I see hundreds and hundreds <clears throat> of babies and teenagers and old people. And I, I remember I, I went to, because um, I also was a chaplain, so I went to a home and where an elderly man had died making a bowl of cereal for his eight-year-old grandson. And But I was the first person there. He was still laying on the ground, and the, the boy says, when do I get my cereal? So I went in the kitchen to get his cereal. And and I was just, the guy had it in his hand. I was like, and I made him a bowl of cereal, you know. And he was saying thank you, and the rest of the family were beating him holes in the wall and going crazy. But this little boy was like, is Grandpa going to keep making cereal for me every day? That was the thing he did. Couldn't process how do, it. How do, you, how do you heal this kind of stuff? And that's... All this stuff that happens, you know, when you see all this stuff in your mind, how do you deal with it? And so I've been working on trying to get healing for leaders because we have to pretend like we're cool. Yeah. And some days we're not. You know, I've seen so many that sometimes I prefer if you don't call me because I don't, it just goes in my memory. I don't, but I'll come if you ask me, but I don't chase an ambulance or any of that stuff. I, but. I will help a family, but I prefer not to see as many bodies anymore because mm. it, it does something Traumatic. to your psyche. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's some of the stuff that we, the opioid stuff is serious, the heroin epidemic is serious, and they were just talking about two people that died just recently in St. Paul, that uh, there's a batch of heroin that is so, so strong that people are just dying. Yeah, it's like five on Saturday. Yeah, five on Saturday. Oh, and so, and there's a lot of overdoses, and, and thank God to the technology and the stuff that people are using. There'd be so many more if it wasn't for that uh, the methadone, new, the methadone yeah. and all that other stuff, that yeah. the, that new drug that they can put. Oh, oh Narcan. Oh, Narcan. Narcan. Yeah. yeah, Narcan. If it wasn't for that, man, it'd be amazing. Now, you don't even know how many people in Chicago and Franklin overdose. On Lake Street, overdose, mm -hmm. downtown overdose, and that K2 that they're smoking now. Right. Oh, man, that is that is mentally distorting so many people. Yeah, it, it is. is it's, I, there was a guy in my office, and he, he smokes K2, and I, he says, I'm fine, man. I smoke a little K2, but I could tell he was not fine. Mm -hmm. We were not having a normal conversation. We were having a psychedelic conversation. I was, wow. I was like, "Wow, your brain is shot." It's because there was only one of him and eight of you. Yeah, he's seeing everybody. It, it's uh, what do you go out uh, when you do go out and walk the neighborhoods? What nights do you do that? 
Well, here's what, here's what we did. We created a uh, programming in our community that's pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. We have a partnership with uh, Phillips West to do Lake Street all the way to Bloomington and back. And then we have a partnership with downtown to to reduce a lot of stuff that's going on downtown between 8 and midnight. Yeah. And um, that's a we, mess. We, we just really go down there. And then we have a partnership with Theater Trust because the, the people that want to go to the theater were pretty, you know. And so we're down there now to make it safe for them so they can come in and go to the theater. So what we had to do, and then we... You know, we go where we're called to North Minneapolis, and we're always in the in the jails and, and on the buses. So we kind of we have staff that cover all those areas, and and then we do a thing called Outreach Explosion, where we just hit we go for about twelve hours straight, just hit all the neighborhoods and reach out, and bring sandwiches, and talk to people and sign them up for programs and services, and and that's something that we try to do at least twice a year. But um, you know, right now in North Minneapolis. You know, we got the you got the high end and the low end and all that. This clicks, and more of the younger kids that are getting into it. And then we've got we've got our Somalian kids that are that are really uh, they're starting up their own gangs. And, yeah. and then you still got the stuff coming from Chicago and Detroit. And you got all those folks coming up. You know, all those gangs. But you got these younger kids that that have a whole different way of looking. And they and most of them tell me their biggest problem there is not one man in their life that loves on them and teaches them how to be a man. Yeah, I think that's very true. It, it does make a big difference. And like I said, you know, my brother was gone, my father was gone, Pat O'Brien stepped up, and he, he, he was a big influence on me. My mother, was she was an amazing person. Yeah. She he was unbelievable. Worked at Merwin Drugstore as a, 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 a waitress in the fountain, worked down on Plymouth and Emerson at the old Kilroy's Cafe it was long before your time, I'm sure. But I used to eat, eat breakfast at Merwin's when they used to have a restaurant there. Yeah, was my, I loved my that mother, place. Yeah, my mother was one of the servers. There. Was that your mom? Uh-huh. But, I used to tip her well. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's really good news. I so when I come along with you, what, what do you like? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Well, first, I just want you to be able to experience what it's like uh, to be in a neighborhood and see some of the pain that is in our community, but also some of the joy that's in our community and some of the success, and to be able to visualize that from a different standpoint other than um, just being able to hear about it and read about it, but just be right on the block and see people and how they respond to us and how they react when they see us. You know, it was interesting when the article came out and everything. I was I had my head down just a little bit because I take pride in the work we do, and I believe that we what we do is real. But, man, we had officers pull over. We had people tell me they want to join right away. We had folks excited about the organization. The response was overwhelming in a positive way. Matter of fact, we haven't, we haven't had one negative, pos, negative response from anyone. And so we were so thankful. You know, so when I brought my head up, I said, okay, well, we're all right. right. You know, because the one thing that I never want to do in life is, is let, let the children down that believe in our work and the parents that we've helped so much. And I, I don't want to let them down by being something that is not real. We're a real organization. We love the people. We work hard. We sacrifice. You know, I get paid for eight hours a day, and I work 16 most days because I really found out this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, and back in the days, I took away a lot, 
You know, and one of the stories I tell people all the time, the reason why I don't sell drugs or do any of that anymore is there was a family that came to my house, six kids and a mother, and they knocked on the door and they said, our husband, my dad, their dad, the husband has left, and but he used to come to you all the time to get drugs, and we just wanted, could you, since he's no longer around, could you buy us some groceries? Oh. oh. <clears throat> I bought groceries for that family, and then I realized that, you know, that, I've got to stop doing this. This is not good for the community. It's not good for me, and it's not something that I was called to do. There's a uh, what was it? When I was a little boy living over there, was a synagogue on Logan, just south of Plymouth Avenue, and it's now a church. And the the head minister there, God, I, I wish I, I was over there a couple of years. She called me a couple of years ago and said, "Would you come over to a service?" And she's about five feet tall at the most. But I wouldn't want to fight her, I'll tell you that. <laughs> she was tough as hell. But one of the most touching things I saw when I was down there, they would go out and round up homeless people. Didn't matter what color they were, what you know, gender they were, none of it. None of it mattered. And as I was sitting there, the one thing they did ask them is, if, if you, you know, you're going to do this, we would like to, to have you come and take communion. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to, you know, just come and take communion. Some of those people white people, black people, whatever, would start crying like it was no tomorrow because somebody actually cared enough to come and get them and say, hey, you know, you need to you need at least an hour or two away from all this. It meant so much to them, and watching that was amazing. It was just great. And as I left that day, everybody at the church gave me a big hug, said, just thanks for coming by. And so hopefully they do that. I'm sure they do that with you too, don't they? Yeah, all the, all the time, you know, we, we get lots of accolades. And what I love is taking a broken man putting a green shirt on him, sending him out in the streets for people to start patting him on the back and saying, thank you, thank you guys for what you do. And they're looking like, I didn't do anything. You know, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. but I remember, a little bit of support. I remember once we, we were going around up to liquor stores and I had a new guy that just came on and a lady walked up to him and said, here's my house keys. Would you guys help me move my stuff? And he had never, nobody had ever came to him and gave him a key. He, he was, that was his first day. And he, he immediately ran up to me and said, this lady gave me a key to the house and said, have the mad dads coming. And his thought was, well, we'll come and take everything out of your house, right? Because he, he's just formally out of incarceration. He don't know. That's right. the way he thinks right. as a criminal. Right. But it was good that he thought. And I can't have her come over and said, he's a new mad dad. He doesn't know what to do. And, you know, we're not going to be able to do that for you. But here's your key back. But. That kind of stuff is what can happen. People believe in the uniform just like they believe in an officer when they see the uniform. And uh, they believe in us to know that we'll do the right thing to help you do what you have to do. And we can take a man and give him some pride. He says, man, nobody ever said thank you for anything until I joined Mad Dads. Nobody's ever thanked me for anything. And so we want to continue to keep our legacy on so people can thank us for the work we do. We get a lot of that, and we've got a number of awards Matter of fact, uh, we were, uh, I remember early on, we were asked to be uh, security for Jesse Jackson. Uh, we also were asked for Al Sharpton to be uh, security for him. So we've done a lot of stuff in the community to make a, make a difference. We just want to continue to do it. You're amazing. There's no doubt about it. V.J. Smith, ladies and gentlemen. So you'll be reaching out to me. We'll tee something up. I'm yeah. going to be out of town this weekend. We're done. Actually, I'll be baby. Well, Catherine, I'll be babysitting for Alex's babies. Okay. Which will be a good thing. But yeah, I do want to get out there. I just like the fact that we had a conversation today and not one person 
uh, you know, made this sad face or is like, oh, the, I feel so sorry for you people. I hate that so much when people, you know, uh, get on TV or get the news, oh, I feel so sorry for you. Don't tell people you feel sorry for them. Get the hell out of the like way. Again, Wolf, Wolf Blitzer at Katrina? That's exactly <laughs> Oh, yeah, sir. They're so poor and they're so black. <laughs> what? Yeah. Remember when he said that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is wrong with you? I was like, wait a minute. I had to, I had to pause when I heard that. I'm like, you know did you just say that? Stick to the script, folks. Yes, exactly. Stick to the script. PJ, it's really God. nice of you to come by. It's great to see you again. I'm Thank glad you. that uh, this bump in the road is out of the way. I'll come out now. I want to. Talk. I, I, I'll call you and get you booked on the morning show too, because I'd like you to come in for okay. a segment. Oh, that'd be great. I, I, I'll close with this. I won't uh, get to set with these beautiful ladies, but that's no. all right. Well, I, can bring, I can bring them along. Can you bring them along? <laughs> I can definitely bring them along. But I, I was told when I was a little boy, over and over and over again, going to St. Joseph's, which is no longer, it's where the bridge crosses over Plymouth Avenue for 94 now. That's where St. Joseph's Church used to be. I went to school there, and then I went to St. Anne's up on Queen in, uh, in 26th. But when I was a little boy, I, was, I kept hearing, oh, man, they're going to do so much for the north side. It's going to be unbelievable. We're all coming in. 1965, I was, you know, 13, whatever. Whoa, we're going to pour a lot of money into the north side and the south side, you know. It's going to be unbelievable. All these years later, nothing. Yeah. Nothing. They don't ever do what they say they're going to do, and that has to change. Well, well they turn- did rip down the projects, though. Those they were burned down, down well, the projects. It's much <laughs> Let's nicer be now. honest about It's that. much nicer than it used to be. I yes, was down is. there watching it burn. All <laughs> <laughs> so that was a different. No, in, 19, in 1968. Uh, Detroit was burning. No, uh, I know Minneapolis was, but I'm talking about the late 70s, the projects around. Oh, you're talking about the old Bryant Fourth project. Bryant. Yeah, yeah, those, yeah the Bryant project. It's called Heritage Park now. Yeah, and it's, not, it's nice. <laughs> nicer houses than most people live in. <laughs> like, right. Those yeah. houses are gorgeous. Yeah. But yeah, I love the fact that you were actually going to do something and, and help people out. It's really terrific to see you again. I'll reach out to you very soon when I get back. Next week we'll get this teed up, and I we got to get over to that church again. I can't remember the name of the church, but we'll get it. It's right, just like I said, just south of Plymouth Avenue on Logan Avenue. Okay. That I assume she's still there. You'd love to meet her. She's wonderful. I like to, I like to meet her. And people can go to my website, too, www.minneapolismaddads.org, and if you feel like you want to make a contribution to the work we do, we sure would love to have you. You're a good man. Thanks very much, sir. Thank you, sir. We'll be back.